Well, every Easter now, I look back over 23 years of preparing Easter messages. And it is a beautiful thing that each Easter there's another message to preach. Because at one level, it is indeed the same message every single Easter. And at another level, the resurrection and the, the story of our salvation is so rich that we can never plumb its depths. We could speak of it perhaps as a, as a diamond that has multifaceted, but in this case, it's so many facets that we can't number them. As a church, uh, we've been working through our, uh, the Gospel of John, and we've come just at this time of the year to chapter 20, which is the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for the last three weeks already, we've been in Easter mode, uh, celebrating and rejoicing in the resurrection. We've seen that we believe in the historical fact of the resurrection because of the eyewitness testimony of those who were there, of those who saw it, and that has come to us in the Gospels. But we believe in this resurrection which must happen. We believe it has happened because it must happen. In other words, we're not a credulous people. We're not a people who believe anything that anyone tells us. We, we don't believe in just any resurrection. We believe only that the resurrection which must happen, and here's the wonderful word for us, has happened. And it's the has happened that depends on the eyewitness testimony of the four different gospel accounts. But this has happened is rooted in turn in this wonderful, glorious must happen. So we saw the Apostle John. He tells us that when he went into the empty tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying undisturbed where the body of Jesus had been, and the face cloth folded up in a place by itself, he tells us that when he saw that, he believed that the only explanation was the resurrection. Jesus had told them, but they hadn't got it. Now he's seeing it, and he's putting two and two together, and he's saying, that can be the only explanation that I can make sense of this, what's in front of my face, in front of my eyes. He believed deep down the resurrection had happened, but he didn't yet understand that it had to happen. Brothers and sisters, that's what I long for us to see. Not simply that it has happened, but that we understand it had to happen. John didn't understand what it meant yet, and that was about to change for John, we know. Today, we believe. And what a wonderful two words those are. I pray that you can say those with me. We believe in the resurrection. And here's why. Because our eyes have been opened by God's sovereign grace to see what it means. And therefore to see why it was and why it is necessary. See, that's the key word. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians living in the the ancient city of Ephesus. And this is what he wrote to them. He says, and you were dead and your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So, bad news, we were all, all of us here, dead. And of course, not physically dead, we know that. The Apostle Paul is speaking here of a spiritual darkness, a deadness, he says, in our transgressions and in our sins. What does that really mean? Because if we were dead, and, and I invite us to really think about this, because this is, this is the story of each one of us here. This is you. This is me. If we were dead, how do we explain Paul's language of, in your handout, walking? Look what he says. Walking. How do dead people walk, right? Walking according to the course of this world. Conducting ourselves we all, we all conduct ourselves every day, right? Paul's talking about that underlying uh, motive of our life. We were conducting ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. That was you. That was you. That was me. And doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. How are we dead if we're doing all that? All that activity sounds like we were very much alive. And the answer is, that all that activity was just the sign of our deadness in particular toward God. We were dead toward God. And therefore, we were dead apart from God. So we could put it like this. To explain this, it means this. When it comes to your sensitivity to the only true God who has revealed himself in Scripture, we were spiritually dead corpses. We had no eyes to see the goodness and the beauty of his commandments. We were, we were, not only were we blinded to the goodness of his commandments, we, literally, we had no eyes to see the beauty. We had no ears to hear the sweetness of his rules, of his instruction. So when his rules came to us, not only did we not hear sweetness, we had no ears at all to hear anything. If in, our, in our deadness, we heard ugliness. We heard that which we could not embrace with joy. We had no appetite for his glory. We had no appetite for his righteousness. Which added up means simply we were dead corpses. Dead to Yahweh God and to all the things of God. So, To be dead in our transgressions and sins is to be dead to the only true and living God. And I just want to say, there's a sense in which, of course, I'm I'm, I'm preaching to, to you. But boy, did I pray hard this week that I would grasp that these are the realities out of which I have been saved. And the reason, therefore, that I rejoice this morning and invite us all to rejoice all the more fully. What makes this death even more terrible is that we choose it for ourselves. This is, again, it's not some poor Timothy. Poor Timothy, it's it's so sad, you know, and I feel so sorry for him. Yes, there's that. But yet it was what I was choosing on a daily basis. Paul says, he says, we conducted ourselves in the lusts of our own flesh. uh, Doing the desires of the flesh, my flesh, of my mind. So I, I, we, we only did what we desired. And here's the thing. All of our desires 
All of our desires, even our spiritual desires, even our spiritual ones, were shaped and determined by the state of death in which I existed, in which I walked. And the result of those things, says Paul, is that we were by nature children of wrath, the wrath wrath to come. So if we put it together, it's like this. To be dead in my transgressions and sins now is to be liable to the ultimate death of separation from God forever in hell. Now, I don't know what man invents bad news like this. This is just the reality that we have learned through the revelation of Scripture, through God's word to us. It's the word that he has told me about me. In your handout, death brings forth death. Furthermore, ever since sin entered the world, physical death, what is physical death? It's the visible sign and reminder to us of this spiritual death in which I am walking on a daily basis. We read in Genesis 2. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may surely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it. Brothers and sisters, it's very simple. That was a command from the holy God. And then here was his warning. Here was the the consequence of eating. For in the day you eat from it you will surely die. And we know what happened. Not only do we know what happened from the testimony of Scripture, we know what happened because of our own conscience. Because of the work of the law written on your heart. And on my heart. Paul says, through one man, sin entered the world, and and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And he's not just talking about that physical death. Physical death is the visible sign we all see, but that physical death is telling us, it is constantly preaching, it is constantly proclaiming to us something deeper about what's what's going on inside me, that I am a spiritually dead corpse, dead to God. And that is a death that I have chosen and daily choose for myself. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, will set me free from this body of death. The prophet Ezekiel, he lived a long time ago, 6th century BC. The city of Jerusalem is being destroyed by the Babylonians. God's covenant people are taken out of their land into exile. And this exile to a foreign land, leaving your homes, watching Lots of people get slaughtered, having to go to a foreign land. This is all a picture of that ultimate spiritual death and separation from God from which the people still needed somehow to be delivered. And I pray this morning we don't take for granted the somehow. The somehow to be delivered from death. Death that we choose. Daily, not just once, but daily. We walk in it. We were dead to God. We had no desire. It was a constant reminder of how, even as God's own people, they were still dead to God, to the things of God. They had no eyes to see. How do you get that? This isn't just about God saying, okay, I'll provide a way and I'll I'll save you. It was like a whole work he had to do in us to to make us who were dead now alive, to give us eyes to see the goodness of his commandments. 
to give us ears to hear his sweetness of his rules and his instruction. Now, I, I, I use rules on purpose. At first, I didn't use rules because that can sound legalistic. But, when, but here's the reality. They are rules, but they're sweet to those who have ears to hear. They had no appetite for God's glory, for his righteousness. They were dead corpses walking in death. Now, there was a, a faithful remnant in Israel. Ezekiel was one of them. Ezekiel was a faithful Jew. But that was the exception. It was not the rule. And it was a mystery, too. Where did they come from? Where did these, where did these people come from? How do you explain them? Moses could say at the end of his life to the people of Israel, to this day, Yahweh has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. To this day, you are dead to God and to the things of God. 900 years later, okay, 900 years later, and Ezekiel can say the same thing as the people are being taken into exile. Listen to what he describes when he saw in a vision. The hand of Yahweh was upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of Yahweh and caused me to rest in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them all around, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So I'll ask you, what do these dry bones mean? What are these dry bones? Why are we looking at them right now? Well, because they're, they're a picture of what Paul was writing about in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a very graphic visual aid, as it were, for our condition. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, and we're by nature children of wrath. And so in the words of Moses, looking at, at, at the dry bones, we see those who had no heart, right? No heart to know. They had no eyes to see. All there is is dead bones, dry bones at that. They had no ears to hear. And then Ezekiel continues. Yahweh said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Okay, you know, sometimes you ask a question and everyone's like, yeah, I know the answer. Do you really want me to say it? Do I have to say it? This is not like that. No, Ezekiel wasn't saying, yes, I, I know. That's not how this was working. Can these bones live? And why does God ask the question? He asks it because he wants us to grapple with the apparent impossibility of answering yes. See, that's, that's the point. He puts the question to us because he wants us, he wants you, and he wants Ezekiel, and he wants me, to comprehend just how incomprehensible is his mighty power. That's why he asks. Put it this way. He puts the question to Ezekiel because he is calling Ezekiel to live by faith. He's calling Ezekiel to believe in something that here's the thing, that in his day was without explanation and therefore was still in his day truly impossible. So like, like God could say, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel could honestly have said, no. No, of course they can't. 
There's no, there's no explanation for how they could. God's power is not just some magical thing that can do like, like oh, oh, there's a bunch of sinners. I'll just receive them into heaven. So the answer was no, and yet Ezekiel knew that no, I think the answer is yes. So he continues. How does, how does Ezekiel answer? Do you say yes or do you say no? Ezekiel gave the only right answer. The only right answer. Oh Lord Yahweh, you know. What beautiful words those are. For Ezekiel to have simply said, yes, I know they can live because you can make them live. That would have been trite and presumptuous. Even if Ezekiel knew the answer was yes, the answer he gives is the only right one given the time in which he lived. He answered, O Lord Yahweh, you know. And here's an answer then in your handout expressive both of the faith and of the longing in Ezekiel's heart. And so now we continue in verses 4 to 10. Then he said to me, and I, you know, God was pleased with that answer. And so now God is about to answer the question for Ezekiel. He says, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Lord Yahweh to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh come up upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you. Brothers and sisters, this is our great need, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded. (laughs) Can you imagine being Ezekiel? I know this is just a vision, but wow. I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rumbling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh came up upon them, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these who were killed, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet. What does that mean? So God himself answers the question. The answer was in the verses we read. He says, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I'll put sinews on you, make flesh come up upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive. And here's the key. And you will know that I am Yahweh. Our great need is to know that he is Yahweh. God alone. That is our great need. So this is not just about a head knowledge. The key, the meaning is this, no longer will the people of God in that day be dead to God and to the things of God, no longer. Instead, God will give to all his people a heart to know that he is Yahweh and so to walk in obedience to him. He will give them that heart. He will give them eyes that see that see beauty, that see goodness in all his commandments. 
he will give to them ears that when they hear his rules and when they hear his instruction, they hear sweetness. Listen to what then God spoke through Ezekiel in chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to do my judgments. See, if you're today walking in God's statutes, what does that mean? You didn't just get up and in your own thoughts say, I I decide to do this today. No, ultimately it is God in his grace putting his spirit in you, taking out your heart of stone, putting a heart of flesh in and causing you to walk now in his statutes. In short, I will raise you up out of death into life. Can you see the radical transformation that is? So that's not just a renovation. And that's, I mean, the world can renovate itself at some level, right? And, and, and many professing Christians, perhaps, can tend to see this as, as a reformation, as a self-improvement project or plan. That's not what this is. This is, I don't know that there are words for it. This is an entirely new creation, right? It's a new creation, furthermore, out of nothing. God did not take some existing good materials and then work from there. No, God took death, which is nothing, and brought life. How? How necessary it is to ask, how is this possible? How is this miracle to be achieved? Take a moment. Take a moment to take this question seriously. If I truly am dead in my transgressions, in my sins, if I am dead to God and to all the things of God, how can this death bring forth anything other than death? That's the question. If I truly am a child of wrath by nature, then how is my very nature to be changed? See, we need our natures changed. In the days of Ezekiel, how could we have answered? Oh Lord, Yahweh, you know. (laughs) You know. But we are not living in the days of Ezekiel, are we? Right? We're living today at a different moment in salvation history. It's why we're here today. See, this, this is what this is about. It's what this means. So I'll ask you this question now, and I invite you to think ahead. Work it out in your mind. Here's the question. If to be dead in our transgressions and sins is to be dead to God, and sorry, this is not quite a question, but you can, you can move ahead anyway. Listen to what Paul says about the death of Christ. Okay, we were dead to God. Now listen, this is what Paul says about the death of Jesus. The death that he died, he died to sin. Once for all. Let me read it one more time. The death that he died 2,000 years ago on, on that hill, on that cross, he died, here's the key words, 
to sin once for all. Hang, hang with me on this because this is, this is the key to your salvation. When Jesus walked on this earth in the days of his flesh, when he was weak and hungered and thirsted like any of us do, he was living under the authority, under the power of death. Uh, that's not how we usually like to think of Jesus. But Jesus lived in a body, in a corruptible body, susceptible to death. And so he lived under the authority and under the power of death. But we remember that death, both physical and spiritual, and sin are inseparably bound together. The sting of death is sin. The wages of sin is death. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus was living under the power of death, what does that mean about sin? It means that he was also living under the authority and under the power of sin. Now, what does that mean? Again, Jesus never sinned. He knew no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. But the Bible answers, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So I don't, I don't penetrate this mystery. All I know is that in some sense, Jesus, during the days of his flesh, was living under the power and authority of sin and death while himself remaining sinless. Now then, here's the question we love to answer. If in Jesus' voluntary and full identification with a sinner like you are, if he himself, the sinless son of God, was subject to the power and the authority of sin and death, I ask you now, what must his death on the cross mean? Think about it. His death was his escape from the power of sin and death. Since when? Since Jesus. His death was his deliverance. Right? He cried out to the one able to save him from death. And yet he died. Did God not answer Jesus' prayer? No, God saved him from death, not only through the resurrection, but even through his death, because his death was a death to sin. His death was his triumph over the power of sin and death. What does Paul say? The death that he died, alone of all the people in the world who have ever died, and that's everyone else, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The death that we die, apart from Christ, we die in sin. What's the difference about Jesus' death? The death he died, he died to sin. Which means that it was through his death, death itself was defeated. So the law which says that death brings forth death, as in Jesus, been turned on its head. And if in the death of Jesus, death itself has been defeated, I'm going to ask you another question. How is it possible for him to be held in death's power? If in Jesus' death, he escaped the power of death, 
was delivered from the power of death and triumphed over the power of death. How then is it possible for him to remain in death? How is it possible in your handout that he should not be raised from the dead? How is that possible? Here we come then to the wonderful and glorious must of the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we don't just, you know, embarrassed and, or we don't just believe in some wonderfully spiritually uh, fuzzy kind of a thing. No, we believe in something that must happen. It must. Here's where we come to see what the historical fact of the resurrection means. John went into the tomb and he saw and he said, I think the resurrection is the only thing that can explain this. But did, John didn't get it yet. Brothers and sisters, let us get it. Our eyes be opened. If the death that Jesus died was a death to sin, not in sin, to sin, once for all, then I ask you, and you know maybe, but maybe think of it, what was the nature, what is the nature of the life he now lives? Paul answers, the life that he lives, he lives to God. The life which Christ is even now living at the right hand of the Father is no longer conditioned in any way by the ruling power of sin and death because sin and death have been utterly defeated. The life which Christ now lives to God is a life, is a life basically which displays in a new and until now unheard of way the power and the glory of God. We look to Christ and we see in his life now a power and a glory and the revelation of the perfections of God's character that did not exist before in human form, in human flesh. And we see it now in him, in his life that he lives. And so I ask you, if Christ in his death and resurrection, if in, his, if in this what we see is a whole new creation, a life no longer conditioned by the power of sin, wholly suited for the display of God's glory and holiness, isn't this the very life that we need? I look at that life and I say, yep, that's the life that I need. I, I, who am dead in transgressions and sins. I, who as a son of disobedience, am by nature a child of wrath. I, who am dead, need that life. The life that he lives to God. And I also need the death that he died to sin. A mystery in the Bible. Uh, a mystery in our, in our parlance, in our language, is something you, know, you can't figure out. A mystery in the Bible is something you can't figure out unless God reveals it to you. So there are many mysteries we know because God has revealed it. One such mystery that we could not have known any other way unless God revealed it is this wonderful mystery. Water baptism, when someone's baptized, 
It represents to the Christian the fact that he has been brought into, he has been transferred into a living and a vital union with Jesus Christ. Through faith, there's nothing magical about the water, but through faith, the water represents to us that I have now been brought into union with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Given that, now listen to Paul's words in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I mean, before now, how could that sound like very good news? But when we get it, when we understand it now, we see this is good news. His death is mine. I needed that death. I needed that death. Therefore, we were even buried with him through this baptism into his death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might look at what's the point of the resurrection? It's walking, walking in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be, and are even now, in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, in order that our our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified from sin. We needed that death. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also, and that we do even now, live with him. O Lord, Ezekiel said, O Lord Yahweh, you know. Oh, brothers and sisters, Ezekiel could never have fathomed verses like these. And now they have been revealed to us. We know then that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. He has escaped now the power of sin and death. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God And then Paul comes to this glorious conclusion. Even so, you, you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What a miracle of God's power. I ask you, what does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean? Uh, okay, and uh, you know, you, we, can kind of, we can kind of get a little lazy here and say, well, I know you're going to answer the question. But no, what, I ask you, what, what does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean? What does it mean? Well, it means this. We can be, we can be, I can be, you can be a whole new creation. That's what it means. In him. That old dead corpse can be discarded for a life that is alive to God, that that loves and knows him, that sees and hears. It means that we who were 
dead in our transgressions and sins, can now walk in the newness in your handout, in the newness of his life. So I love, I love these words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one among God's covenant people. So among those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, if that's you, I, I don't recognize any one of you according to the flesh anymore. Even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Christ in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. What does the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus mean? This is what it means. That we who are dead in our sins can be dead now to our sins. That's what it means. And alive to God, alive to righteousness. It means that we can have hearts, hearts to know God and to walk in obedience to him. It means we can have eyes now. We can have eyes to see what we couldn't see before because we had no eyes. We've been given eyes to see the goodness and the beauty of all his commandments And we have ears that hear now rules and we don't hear ugliness. We hear sweetness. It means that we who are dead can in him have life. God does not give you life somehow independent from or separate from Christ. He gives you life only in so far as you are united in and with Christ through faith, faith in him. And this life that we have, and that is already working within us, is the guarantee that one day he will transform even the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. 1 Corinthians 15. For this, this corruptible must, must put on the incorruptible. And this mortal, I keep saying the wonderful, glorious must, right? I hope, I hope you're feeling the same way about it. It must put on immortality. But when, this incorrupt, but when this corruptible puts on the incorruptible, and this mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the word that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We asked a moment ago, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul answers, now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who know this victory, you know that this is not some old story, this is not some old message that we get, that we've got, that yeah, this is just for someone else. But this is for all of us, that we grasp again the realities, the daily realities that I live in. If you are alive today, it's because even now you are living in and through and with the, the living and resurrected Jesus Christ. That's the life you have. If you are dead today to sin, it's because you have been united with Christ and you have shared in his death to sin. If you are still today dead 
in your sins and in your transgressions. Oh, may I call upon you today to turn from those sins and to believe in this Jesus who has provided the only way to life. See, we're not a credulous people. And if the world accuses me or laughs at me for being credulous, then that is a glory. We don't believe in just any resurrection. We believe only that the resurrection which must happen has happened. And if the has happened depends on the eyewitness testimony that's come down to us in the four different gospel accounts, which we've been reflecting on the last three weeks, then the must happen, where does the must happen come from? It is rooted in what that salvation is that we needed. And so often as Christians, we don't yet fully comprehend what that salvation was that I needed. And what therefore was required to bring it about. It is rooted in the salvation that we needed and that God has now achieved for you and for me by his power in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. So writing to the Christians in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul, we started out this morning with Ephesians 2 when he says, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And I just want to say, I'm going to read this passage, and then I've got a little bit more to say. Usually in, the, in your handout, I'm done. I just have a little bit more, a tiny bit. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then he continues in verse 4. But God, and, and again, what Ezekiel wouldn't have given to hear words like these. Oh Lord, you know, he said, today we answer, all the promises of God are yes. In Jesus Christ. But God being rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even when we were a bunch of dead dry bones lying scattered in the valley. Even then he made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul, he, he pretty much just kind of explodes. He bursts out in the middle of his thought with this reality. By grace, you have been saved. How can you conclude anything else if we who were dead were made alive in Christ Jesus? And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So again, I I put the question to you, you know, I I don't put the question to you in the sense of, oh, here's a moment, you know, maybe. No, I, I just pray that the Spirit of God is actually working to convict all of us of our need for this salvation. And so I'll ask you the question, It's a simple question. Have you been raised up out of death into life? Have you comprehended the incomprehensible power of God that works a miracle like that 
And another simple question. Do you glory in his grace? Because I'm no better than you were, no better than you are. You're no better or worse than the person sitting next to you at some basic level. We're all simply at the same place in need of grace. Do you glory in the grace which is given to you today if you can if you can testify to this? A heart to know him and obey him. Though however imperfectly still in this life, right? But you have that heart now. Eyes to see the goodness of all his commandments. Ears to hear the sweetness of all his rules and instructions. Alive to God and all the things of God. And if not, if not, then the Bible calls you. Christ himself calls to you. Repent of your sin today. Repent of it. Put your hope in Jesus. In the crucified, resurrected Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because the death that he died is the death you need. The life that he lives is the life you need. Death to sin. Alive to God. Even so then, by faith, brothers and sisters, let us rejoice to consider ourselves today and every day dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. And so therefore, to walk daily in this newness of his resurrection life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, this is your message. This is your word. This is, this is your gospel. This is your mystery. That not a soul here could have ever conceived of or, or thought of. We, we could have only said again in the words of Ezekiel to a question, can these bones live? Oh Lord, you know. And yet now in Christ, this wonderful mystery has been revealed to us, unveiled before our eyes. May there not be a soul here in this room that doesn't have eyes to see its beauty. May there not be one here today who leaves, who doesn't have his or her Heart changed to know that you are God and that in Christ is the only true life, the life of freedom. Lord, we thank you as those who have been brought from death to life that you have given us this life of your sovereign grace. That though we were dead and undeserving and incapable and helpless, yet you did it. You did it. And we give you now all the glory with great joy in our hearts. Receive now our songs of praise and adoration. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.